Thanks. Yeah, of course. All right. In. Let three, me tell you a tale. Two. Come sit, grab an ale. A motherfucking yellow D in the D is for the generator energy I generate. Don't know where Hello, and welcome to the Yellow Jacket Bolt, a weekly podcast bringing you the unheard voices of writing and recovery. I'm Yellow D, your degenerate host. What does the D stand for today? Today the D stands for debridement. The dictionary definition of debridement is the removal of damaged tissue or foreign objects from a wound. Here is debridement used in a sentence. The debridement of Dom's addiction problem from his psychic wounds is sure to be a painful process. I know that this process was painful for me. As I've stated before, I've completed multiple dual diagnosis programs, as well as a lot of 12-step meetings. I first started going to 12-step meetings during my second dual diagnosis program when I was required to go to at least three per week to supplement my days of intense therapy and relapse prevention classes. At this time, I was also subject to surprise drug tests. There were harsh penalties for failing these drug tests, such as having to spend your remaining time in the program living in a sober living facility. These facilities are often overcrowded and full of the drama that comes when tons of people living together are going through withdrawals. In my opinion, this didn't usually seem to help the people who were subjected to these punishments, as most of the people who were brazen enough to do drugs while being randomly tested would rather quit the program than spend a ton of money being punished. I saw many people drop out rather than do this. It seems to me like they approach every case like people want to get sober. This isn't the case at all. Many are forced into programs like these as a punishment. They don't want to be there. This goes for all recovery organizations. I don't know what to do about it, but plowing ahead maintaining the status quo doesn't seem to be working. That's not to say it wasn't helpful. I knew the relationships I'd fucked up, the thousands I'd spent on drugs, alcohol, and all the peripheral expenses related to those. I knew how my addictions had contributed to my mental illness and had taken me down the darkest roads of my life. This is why I enjoyed smart recovery. It felt the most like real therapy. In fact, their whole program is based on actual science, like cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm not sponsored by them, I just had a good experience with them. Their only downfall is that the meetings can be hard to come by. In my city alone, you can find around 45 meetings a week of just AA, not to mention NA, MA, CMA, SA, and all the other anonymous organizations. A cursory search of the Smart Recovery website shows five meetings a week near my city, with none actually in my city. Even if you go to every meeting in one week, you still have two days unaccounted for. It's not uncommon for people early in recovery to go to a meeting every day. As opposed to most of the recovery community, I don't feel like religion or a higher power is a necessary part of overcoming addiction. I hope that SMART becomes bigger so that secular people have a place to get sober without worrying about being judged by others. Anyways, let me get off that subject. This week I've been struggling with my depression, so my tendency is to complain about things. The story has taken more work than I anticipated to turn into something worthy of being broadcast. The good thing about this podcast, though, is that I'm being forced to maintain some form of consistency. Having something to work on every day and actually having a goal that, for one, 
is attainable with a week of hard work, two, has a deadline, and three, has the potential to actually make some money is a good combination. I have no illusions about success though. Most podcasts fail or exist in obscurity. I look at this as a soft entry back into the workforce. For now, my only boss is you, the listener. Consistency is the thing I desire most. If I could achieve the ability to get work done at a good quality, even when depressed or manic, I'd be unstoppable. My depression was the main reason I quit comedy. In fact, it's the main reason I've quit a lot of things. I don't want that to happen anymore. I'm over it. I want you guys to hold me accountable to this weekly schedule. I'm relying on you. This week we have a wonderful interview with fantasy writer Melissa Hernandez. It was really a fun interview to do. Coming after that is the next chapter of Dom and the Twelve Consequences. Finally we'll come to the poetry corner where you will hear the story of my bipolar and how I came to be Yellow D Jacket. Stay tuned! Hello and welcome to the interview segment of the Yellow Jacket Pulp. We're here with Melissa Hernandez in the bird's nest. Harley Bird has been so nice as to let us use his equipment for today. Um, So that is what we will be doing. (laughs) To introduce Melissa, she's a fantasy writer. I want to be non-published, but I love doing it. Self-published. Self-published. We can say self-published. I've read her stuff. It's good. And um, she does fan fiction. She does anime trailers. <laughs> like AMV. So like anime music videos. Totally different nerdy stuff. Totally different from writing, but still cool creative stuff. She's a cool creative person. <laughs> Thank you. Um, how did you get into fantasy? I've always loved it. I mean, as a kid, my teachers would always try to get me to read these really serious books. So well-written books about, you know, everyday life. And as much as I enjoyed those books, I just absolutely loved the uncanny activities and situations and environments that these fantasy novels would come up with. I can't... Oh my god, actually there's this story called um, The Storm Thief which was basically this crazy world where a storm would come around and I think it was a scientist who had created the storm to undo the society that he had created because he created this very structuralized society where nothing really happened. People didn't move. Mm -hmm. There was no creation. There was no moving forward. So he made a storm that would randomize everything. Like you could be, it could turn you from a man to a woman. It could make you left-handed to right-handed. It could ruin your lungs and force you to go to the queen of the black market, essentially. It was absolutely bonkers. And it created a really intricate world with fantastic characters that you wouldn't really see in real life. Yeah. Well, you could, but you wouldn't have them in these situations that really brought out their character. And I think that's really what attracts me to it, that it brings out these actions and these behaviors that you couldn't see in yeah, that, a more would, realistic setting. There would be no reason to do that if your book was more grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. It's, and then there's the moral question of... This dragon is a living, intelligent being. Can I kill it? It's like, 
you're adding a whole extra layer of things to a very interesting story. Hmm. Yeah, for me, I uh, I got interested in fantasy when I was very young. My dad, he was a big uh, reader, and mm-hmm. he he would read to me every night at bedtime. Right. The first three books that I remember him reading were the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. Really? Oh, yeah. That's so cool. And and like and then I would get into stuff like um, like I was really into dinosaurs. Really. So there Aww. was this there was this book called. Dinotopia. It was a series. Never heard and of it. And it was, it was a, there was actually a TV series made once. It was terrible. And it also had like weird magic, physics magic in it too. I'm into it. I'm into it. Um, but basically it was an island that time forgot and mm. dinosaurs never went extinct. Mm-hmm. And people lived there. They, they created these whole great societies, kind of almost like a more elegant Flintstones. Okay. Where they're, you know, they're, they get around, they fly around on pterodactyl backs. Oh my, I always love those settings where you're like, some of these like living beings are also utility. And And they just live their lives like that. Like, yeah, I'm just going to conduct electricity and stand here. Don't mind me. See ya, Sam. Have a good day. And my bones are uh, really made of graphite, so I, uh, I conduct (laughs) electricity well. What's up, guys? So... I would read those as a kid by myself, and they were they were in, they were children's books, but they were intense children's books, like with pictures. <laughs> but like they 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 were like two hundred pages long, mm-hmm. with these beautiful illustrations, big paragraphs, and everything. Mm-hmm. And so then in seventh grade, we did a reading week. If you've ever had one of those, where yeah. you had to bring in your favorite children's book. So I brought in this 200-page long, beautifully written dinosaur epic, and everybody else brought in like green eggs and ham, and I was like, like they snatch something off the shelf, and you're like, this thing, this thing, that would have been me as a kid too. I'm not even gonna lie, I would have like brought in something Lionheart and also like a really great fanta- fantasy series. But book nerds, mm. am I right? Yes. Fuck yeah. By the time we finished Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter came out, mm-hmm. and my dad read to me like three or four of them, mm-hmm. and then I was kind of more old. I didn't want him reading to me at night, mm. and so I started reading them myself. Yeah. And then the fifth Harry Potter book came out, and that's like while that's not the worst Harry Potter book, mm-hmm. it is the most boring. Aww. So I stopped, and I didn't pick up Harry Potter again until like late high school, way mm-hmm. after the Deathly Hallows came out. Everyone is already talking about what happens. So you well, kind of... I didn't hear about what happened. I mean, oh. you you know, because this was before the movies. Right. The movies were when I was in college. Right. And the or the eighth movie was. I mean, you know that Harry's gonna beat Voldemort. Like, I mean, that's it has to be the end of things. Yeah. You can't have like this whole epic journey of like these kids growing up, and you know what? Magic Nazi Hitler wins. Yeah. You you go through all that misery and then Voldemort wins. Oh, and that seventh book is so difficult for me. Like, there's something beautiful about the innocence of the first, let's say, four. Mm-hmm. And then the fifth book's where it starts getting real. Yeah. And the sixth book was terrible. Aww. That was, a, I just, I thought that was the worst Harry Potter book. Mm-hmm. And then um, the seventh book, they're not even at Hogwarts. I mean, they grew 
up. They, their world expanded. No, they're high school dropouts. They're, they're not dropouts. They were forced out. <laughs> they're high school dropouts. They, they had to, they couldn't stay there. I think by that book, Snape was the new headmaster? Or Snape was, was the headmaster. Why the heck would you stay at school with Snape that? was a good guy. Oh, they spoiler. <laughs> yes, because no one, okay, first of all, Snape was never a good guy. He was part of the good guys, but he was never really a good guy. He was a good guy. No, he just loved Lily Potter. That's that's his like only redeeming quality. He was still an asshole to kids. He like, was capable whole... of love, and Dumbledore was all about love. I mean, I'm pretty love sure. versus power. I mean, apparently Voldemort was capable of having a kid. Yeah. <laughs> like we're not even gonna Wait, get into. Wait, Voldemort, Voldemort had a kid. Uh, yeah. Is had... that the cursed child? Yes. Yeah, so I bought that child. and I read fifteen pages and I could already tell that this wasn't like I didn't want this in my head about Harry Potter. And so I put it down. No, yeah, you really didn't want to read it. They just, I don't know what they were, okay. Anyway, uh, what was I going to say? So, I, for me, I think the most disappointing book, not to say this book series was good, but when I was a kid, I was a twihard. I will admit oh, no. it, and I'm sorry. So I was oh. all into the books. I went to, like, the opening celebration, waited in line with, like, my sister, my mom, for, like, I think it was the fourth book, Breaking Dawn. I still remember. I can't remember the book from my childhood, but I can remember Breaking Dawn. I stayed up all night, like, drinking in that book, waiting for it to get good, and it never got good. I finished that book at, like, Five in the morning, same day, and I was like, this was crap. You were expecting this full fight scene for there to be sacrifices, for people to die, to have like long-lasting repercussions. <laughs> I mean, the writing was just kind of bad either I way. Mean it, I mean, Renezme, that's a whole thing, but... um, I, The only Twilight I've ever <clears throat> interacted with is the original Twilight. It was terrible, and I watched it in German with English <laughs> subtitles. <laughs> And even then, the acting was terrible. Shout out to Robert Pattinson, though, for just openly hating Twilight for, like, even when they began shooting it and making fun of it for the rest of his the, life. The craziest thing is, Robert Pattinson, great actor. Kristen Stewart, pretty good actor, actress. Uh, apologies to Kristen Stewart for talking shit on her when I was a kid, too. She's amazing. I love her, and... I should have watched Charlie's Angels. I still need to get She's to that. got something coming out that I want to see. But Robert Pattinson, like, I really want to see The Lighthouse. But my only option was to see The Lighthouse with uh, my grandma. Ooh. And that, I, I, I decided against it. Yeah, I can, I can see why you would do that. Yeah, <laughs> I decided against it. And, that, I mean, that movie looks so good. Mm-hmm. I still want to see it. It's on Amazon. I might... Oh, and I, I might just watch it because I heard Robert Pattinson was about to punch the director. So, Melissa, uh, what is your favorite fantasy property? That's actually a really, really good question that I'm going to have to take a second to think about. Yeah. I think my favorite fantasy property would actually be Peter Pan. Peter Pan? That's an interesting one. It is one. such... So many people have customized it to their own tone, to their own needs. So, of course, you have the typical Disney setting where, you know, mm -hmm. it's very friendly. The mermaids are just low-key bitches. Yeah. And it's just, you know, a little culturally insensitive. Very culturally insensitive, actually. And then, I don't know if I've ever talked to you about Brom. 
Brahm is this amazing artist and writer, and he took the took the Peter Pan world mm-hmm. and just turned it into this very grotesque and real. And you know, there are kids killing themselves. There are gods that exist in this world, and it's just so different from the Peter Pan that I'm used to. Yeah, that is just. It's fantastic. You have yeah. all of these fairies. You have all of this magic. And in the midst of it, you still have this lesson of you need to be able to grow up. And I, I mean, that's kind of the core for fantasy for me, where it's just you have this customizability where things can just happen. Honestly, anyone listening to this, I would highly recommend looking up Brahm and his works. Is that B R A H M? B R O M. And oh, it's, it's like just, Brahm the Storyteller. Yes. Yes, it is. Exactly that. And it's just, he includes his own artwork in his books, and yeah. it is absolutely amazing. He has another book called um, The Plucker, which is basically a story about toys protecting their child from a evil entity that was allowed into the house through a voodoo doll that broke. Yeah. It was just an amazing story with you know these real characters Mm -hmm. and it's just a fantastic read a little disturbing i'm not gonna lie it's incredibly disturbing that kind of reminds me of have you heard of the the series of books called the magicians no i haven't there they have a sci-fi tv show now yes i know the sci-fi the sci-fi tv show is way different from the books really okay but basically, it starts around a... It's almost like Hogwarts, but it's college. Mm-hmm. And magic is much harder than... So it's something that anyone can do if they're super stupid freaking genius, like crazy genius. Okay, so it's not just... Because in the show, they um, imply like a natural talent and that you have to be smart to be good at it. But yeah. I guess what you're saying, in the books, you just have to be, like, stupid smart. In, in the books, the main character is, like, one of the smartest high school kids in the entire state of New York. Mm-hmm. And he's average at the school. Oh, shoot. He's, like, not not even the top, top dog. So, basically, every single kid who is, like, oh, you're so smart. Like, in elementary school, they get to, like, every other grade. So and they're, it's like, like, oh, God, I'm average. It's, like, like oh, you're so smart. <laughs> In elementary school, oh, you're so smart in high school, and there's a drop-off. Oh, you're so smart in college, drop-off. But, like, they, it's, they were taking, like, advanced college classes in, like, upper division college classes in high school. Mm-hmm. Basically, their magic system res- re- revolves around, um, like, different languages. So okay. you have to know Middle English, you have to know Old English, you have to know Sanskrit, you have to learn Chinese, Evil. you have to learn Japanese, you have to learn like 300 different languages, like crazy weird African languages that only 17 people speak. You have to learn that to use <laughs> this one spell, you know. But the payout for that, can you imagine? But the thing is, the magic is so weak. Oh, like, that's annoying. The magic is so very weak in that. And, like, you have to make these complicated hand signs. Mm-hmm. It's like Naruto, but even harder. And okay, but the Naruto kids would be having a fantastic time. Can you imagine, like, that really quiet kid who was also really good in school, like, doing Naruto signs in the corner or, like, at home? Yeah. And he got into this school. He's like, this is a breeze, man. Yeah, I remember Yeah, he's like, this. my fingers are flexible. Exactly. Yeah, he's got it. Um, and I... 
I thought that that was cool that, like, magic, it wasn't everything. And especially there was no, like, no offensive magic taught to anyone. Okay. You know, in Harry Potter, they teach you stupefy. They teach you uh, the paralyzed one in school. Mm-hmm. But they teach you how to duel. Yeah. But there's no offensive magic. And mm-hmm. they, they literally have to teach themselves from scratch offensive magic spells. By themselves. Yeah. Okay. And so it was kind of interesting. So, what is your favorite fantasy mechanic? Hmm. My favorite fantasy mechanic that I've seen would actually... I love religious figures and gods and having them interfere in really interesting ways. I, hmm. Of course, I love hearing, you know, Norse and Greek mythology. I recently started listening to... Um, a podcast about myths and legends and there's this youtube channel called overly sarcastic uh, productions where they just like retell old stories and i just love the way they retell them yeah. hilarious and in D in all these stories and all these mechanics you just have these gods kind of interfering in people's everyday lives and people just kind of struggle to manage that yeah. so you have you know a direct intervention like paladins who if their god decides they're displeased with them they take away all their powers and their livelihood and their really only option is to become a black paladin Hmm. so or what is a black paladin a black paladin is basically an evil paladin who is like anti their god now if i understood it correctly it's been a little while since that's been something i've looked into yeah so i wouldn't completely take my word in that sounds perfect for harley (laughs) yes and also, honestly, for your other brother from another mother, Dylan would probably love to be a black paladin if you were doing an evil campaign. And just, uh, so I know Melissa through Dylan. My darling. Her, her darling is my other brother, Dylan. <laughs> Absolute sweetheart. I'm, hopefully you guys will see something of him. So let's see. I think I already know maybe one or two of these, but uh, what are your... You know, we like to ask our writers, what are your favorite three writers? Can I go to five? <laughs> you I can could... go to five, sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's more content for me. I'm happy. Um, so one of my favorite writers right now, her name is Eli Barraza. She does a podcast called The Far Meridian, and it is so gently surreal. It is literally the main character. Well, not exactly but for the most part it's the main character having conversations having self-growth it's a very simple story about um an agoraphobic i think it's agor- uh where you don't want to leave your house yeah so it's um this very agoraphobic young woman and her lighthouse suddenly starts traveling uh-huh. you can't be stuck in your house When you have no one to deliver groceries, you have, like, no ability to do anything, you have to go out, and she learns to talk with people. She communicates, and the writer makes it very clear that she's very shy and socially awkward, and she gets nervous and tired, and she's dealing with all of her mental health issues in her own way, and honestly, it's prevented a lot of anxiety attacks, to be honest, Mm. and... Because it's kind of telling me, like, you process things at your own time, and it's yeah. you're able to say, 
I need this to stop and to freak out, but also in a healthy manner. So shout out to Eli Barraza for just creating this amazing world in storytelling mechanic. I highly recommend like you listen to a couple of episodes and the yeah. story starts picking up. Um, maybe after the sixth episode, the first six are really just mm. her having conversations with people and it's really cool. This, uh, that, um, sorry. The taking things at your own pace, like with mental health wise, mm-hmm. that was a lesson I had to learn. And, it's and I so did hard. I didn't have the luxury of learning it from a podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, I I had to learn it on my own. Like like I I haven't had a job since twenty seventeen. It was tough at first. I decided what I'm gonna do is I'm going to try to write at a high level. You don't need to go to school to write. You don't need to pay money to write. Mm-hmm. You can just do it. And since I started writing, like, more and more, it's almost turned into, like, a diary. Mm-hmm. So, like, like I would say 90% of my stuff will never be read by anybody but me. Mm. And that happens, and that's okay. I, I have a lot of poems, because I'm a poet, that are complainy gripey just me releasing all the bad stuff out of my head mm-hmm. and then i strangely feel better afterwards it's therapeutic i completely i stopped doing that and i know i shouldn't have because mm-hmm. i did notice um years ago actually that writing stuff down just made everything more manageable it made things easier to think about because when I think about things in my head they're mostly nonverbal it's abstract and my brain tends to just fixate on something over and over and over again but if I'm writing it down it puts language to it and it kind of forces me to just keep moving forward and so honestly I really appreciate you having me do this because I hadn't been pushed to write in a while Mm -hmm. and honestly I feel so much better when I write. Like, I really do. It's, it's big. Like, writing writing helped me so much. Mm-hmm. I feel good. So now, second writer. Uh, Jodi Picoult. Jodi Picoult does that thing that I was telling you about where she takes a very, I don't even want, I almost want to say mundane uh, experience or people, and she just ties them all together in such beautiful language and events and um, conversations that it makes it interesting that all these human beings are human beings with their own stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, She did um, My Sister's Keeper, and honestly, the movie, of course, didn't do the book justice. Uh, Mm -hmm. We were robbed of a lot of really interesting characters and... um, interactions that touched me really deeply she um i can't think of any other books by her by not right now uh, of course the most famous one's the only one i can think of but i read maybe four or five of them and each one it's the same high level complicated people where yes you have bad people but there's just something underlying in that and i think it's such a beautiful thing to see them learn and grow and push things along. So I always, I have so much respect for her and being able to do that. Yeah, that's great. Um, another one would be an artist, uh, Marilyn Manson. Ooh. I love the way he looks at the world. I love the way he says things. There's a song that, uh, God, I can't remember which song it is, but he has the line, uh, we slid our wrist because death was on sale today. 
And that line hits me so hard because yeah. it is honestly gun control. It is mental health. It is just putting the time and investment in our youth instead of we demonize them. All we did for years is demonize teenagers without asking the question, why are they doing this? Or what's wrong with our society that our kids feel the need to go out and hurt each other or not do what we would like them to do? I think that was part of the problem where they weren't doing things that we wanted them to do. So we just put them under our thumbs and we were in that generation yeah. we were in a generation where they complained about oh aren't their backpacks too heavy well is, is it gonna hurt yeah. their back and then we tell them hey so uh we're now being weighed by student debt which is significantly worse than the textbooks and suddenly we're whining and complaining and we don't know what hard work is it's just really complicated it's like that that backpack <clears throat> uh full of textbooks it's like a thousand dollars now, <laughs> and seriously, that's like for me. Once I decided upon writing as my path forward, I stopped going to school, mainly because I didn't want to spend, you know, at a minimum because I wanted to go to UCR. They have a great creative writing program, but the price but it's tag. it's like fifty grand for two years. And <laughs> it's 50 grand for two years and the only thing that i can't the only thing i could see myself getting from ucr mm -hmm. that i couldn't get on my own and actually i could if i worked really hard but it was discipline you know because there's deadlines mm -hmm. and it's like i can even get that on my own if i follow my own deadlines you know, just need to make sure to follow them. And that gets hard sometimes, but honestly, that's... without deadlines, people keep trying to say that writing is very wistful, but you can't, it's not. you can't do wistful writing. I like, I need to get into the habit of this too. Cause I believe it where you need to have it be structured. You need to sit down and say, this time is writing time. Yeah. Like, of course, you can write down a quick thing, you know, if some inspiration hits you, scribble it down and then get back to whatever you were doing. But when you're writing, you have to be writing. Yeah, it's like you gotta, you really gotta go for it. And it can be rough. Crafting something, it's like anything else. It's it's time consuming. It it's effort. Discipline. It takes discipline. It can be rough. And... Like, writing Dominant 12 Consequences was rough. It took me it took me months. It took me about two months to write it and then edit it. And then I didn't touch it for three years. And now I'm looking at it again and I'm like, this thing needs so much work. Mm -hmm. I've grown so much as a writer since then. That's good, though. Yeah. Like, I can really see the progress that I've made. Because I, I will tell you, the, the Dominant 12 Consequences... That I was reading before I edited it. It was terrible. It was terrible. Been there. Um, anyways, I think that we only have time for one more question. Alright. So we'll, we're going to forego those, those last two. Can I get one more? Like really quick. Quick. 
Movements, uh, another band, they do a lot of work with uh, dealing with how they all deal with their own mental illnesses. One of them have this has this song but called Daylily about their girlfriend who has sad seasonal affective disorder. Yeah. And he seems to deal with a lot of depression from what I can see in his music. Yeah. And so she's, it's just interesting seeing these two cogs work with, against each other over and over again. So when both of them are depressed, they're both really depressed. When one of them is happy, it makes the other one happy. And sometimes they need to catch each other and just like twist it forward. Yeah. And that's all I guess I can say on that. <laughs> uh, so let's get to the final question. The favorite thing you've written? Definitely uh, for another one of my D&D characters, I had created this story where um, she has a son with a human. I have this thing with like complicated star-cross relationships but anyway so and this human wanted to he was high-ranking in the empire he was a part of and he wanted to basically give her a home mm -hmm. and so that instead of having to as he put it carve her home out of a rock face she would just have one and she would still be able to do all of her scheming and plans and she I love drows. I know they're an evil society. I didn't want to have an evil character there. I said it. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. um, and she decided, I don't want to do that to him. Because mm -hmm. if he helps me and he supports me, he will not be able... One day, someone will come after him. He will not be respected. He will lose his place. So I need to leave. And you know what? I'll just make my own way. Fuck it. But they have one last little row. She has a kid and never no one knows no one knows about the kids so she's just running her like underworld empire not under dark like underworld like she's dealing with like crime families and syndicates and all that mm -hmm. and he's just like trying to track her down because he's pissed at her for leaving and like whole scorned lover thing and then one day she does get caught yeah and she has created this rule where it's like pirate code if you get left behind you stay behind yeah and her son doesn't accept that Mm -hmm. And he goes after her to try to save her. And the um, guy that she was with before goes to visit her before her execution date. Yeah. And he's there when they catch the kid trying to save his mom. Yeah. And Alana, the main character, is like, oh, it's just some kid. It's just a drow. Like, just fucking let him go. Don't worry about him. Mm -hmm. It's just a kid. And he's like, you hate, you hate your own kind. He's, he's male. Male drow don't have a good life. Um, drows are purely misandristic, and they will actually keep the males as slaves. They're stupid breeding war fodder, and that's really about it. As a male yellow jacket, I, I know. Oh, <laughs> the, the, just the, the, the drones of the system and everyone else is like beating on them all the time. You, you will grow. You'll, you'll break the system. I Do can be you. a woman. <laughs> this is the 21st century. You can be whatever you want. Honestly, honestly, in a non-offensive way, fucking identify. Anyway. Um, I'm only 40% woman, so <laughs> that, that's what I consider myself. Uh, so yeah, they just, he just has this like whole blow up about like the fact that he has a kid, that's a kid with her. And she's like, no, it's not your kid. It's my kid. Oh. Get fucked. And so they have this huge battle and Damien is just like, the angel of Mortenhold is my dad. 
<laughs> and he's trying to kill my mom. Oh, he's trying to kill my mom. Fuck this guy. And so um, Alana beats him in the fight but leaves him alive. And Damien kind of like throws uh, his father's knife at him. And he's like, I see you again, father. And it's just like a whole emotional story. Um, and then towards the end of the story... Alana is kind of comforting her son. Like, she scolds him because it's like, you're not supposed to fucking come after me. I fucked up. Mm -hmm. I pay the consequence. And you almost got killed. But at the same time, that's her son. And she's going to have to leave for a while because she got caught. And so as he's going to sleep, um, they're having, like, the one of the first tender moments that they've had in the vast majority of Damien's life and definitely the last tender moment that they're going to have. So mm. Damien keeps asking like these very childish questions of like, is he my dad? Yes, my darling. Does he want to kill me? Yes, my little prince. And yeah. she just answers him with like all the love that she can in this moment because they both understand that once she's gone, this moment's gone. Hmm. Well, very interesting. <laughs> I could send you those chapters too, honestly. Yeah, send those to me. Um, so anyways, that brings us to the conclusion of our interview with fantasy writer Melissa Hernandez. Thank you so much we for having me. It was fun. We didn't even get to the anime music videos. Ooh, I'm, <laughs> I'm so sad, but we are going on a little long. We went back and forth a lot. What can we say? We had a lot to say. Yes, we did have a lot to say. Anyways, <laughs> thank you. Coming up is Dom and the Twelve Consequences, Chapter 2. This is a good one. You're not going to want to miss it. Stay tuned. Chapter 2. As a result of my choice to use... I operated a motor vehicle while high, endangering many lives. As Dom exited his grandma's house, he felt unstoppable. This could be his little secret. His stomach growled. The chicken wings were a fading memory. He was also running low on weed. Dom had always felt that it was a happy coincidence that there was a discount grocer near the dispensary. He couldn't remember how many runs he'd made to both of them. This night was shaping up nicely. A little weed, a lot of TV, and a fuckload of food. Without a thought to his impaired state, Dom got behind the wheel, put his seatbelt on, for safety of course, adjusted his mirrors, and slowly pulled away from the curb. This was a well-trod route, one he could do in his sleep, or in this case, high as fuck. You went down Parthenia, till it hit ninth where you hung a left and drove for five minutes to cross over into the next city. And boom, you were at Pot Nirvana. Whoever's idea it was to put a dispensary two blocks down the street from a discount grocery store had been a genius. Stoners of all stripes flocked to this area for the dankest cush and deep, deep discounts on munchies. As he hung a left on ninth, he started strategizing about what strain he'd get. Did he want a sativa or an indica? He could cut the baby in half and go for a hybrid. He loved the choices where there was no wrong answer. In the end, he settled on an indica. Preferably sour diesel. That shit slapped. 
Pulling into the small dirt lot of the converted muffler shop that was home to Pot Nirvana, the building appeared for all intents and purposes to be a run-of-the-mill muffler shop. Even the signs had been left up. This was done in the name of camouflage. Law enforcement was always shutting down the good places, but Pot Nirvana had been open for years, even in a city which had banned dispensaries. Whatever they were doing to stay open, they were doing it well. The steel door swung outward, revealing an entryway with the camera. A significantly stronger-looking door stood at the end. To one side of the door was a window made of bulletproof glass. There was a slot that was just big enough to slip an ID through. Once his identity was verified, there was a loud buzzing, signaling that the door was unlocked. Dom pushed through into what looked like a doctor's waiting room, replete with posters advertising various products and brands, all with some variant of weed or 420 or Kush in the names. A little statue of Laughing Buddha sat in the corner. Dom was ashamed that he was vaguely beginning to resemble him. There was another door, this time just a regular door on one side of the room, with an armed guard standing in front. Weed was a serious business. It was an entirely cash-based business. Besides that, every dispensary had hundreds of pounds of recreational drugs within them. Bulletproof vests and guns were just part of the uniform. Dom took a seat. He'd already given them his ID, so now it was just a waiting game. Luckily, it didn't seem too crowded tonight, with only a few people there before him. Names were called, people entered and exited, and within five minutes he was called in past the guard. It was literally a pot nirvana. Huge mason jars of differing strains of weed lined almost every conceivable horizontal surface. If the jars had been filled full of candy instead of drugs, it would have resembled an old school candy shop. Dom made eye contact with one of the many cute bud tenders, and she signaled for him to approach the counter. What can I do for you? She asked in a sultry tone. I'm just looking for a nice indica, sour diesel if you have it. You're in luck. She walked down the counter, looking at the tags on the jars. When she found one she was looking for, she plucked it out of the case and brought it over to Dom. She opened it and a deeply skunky aroma hit Dom straight in the dick. She tilted the jar over to Dom and said, What do you think? It smells incredible. Do you have any specials today? Yeah, we do. If you buy an eighth, we'll throw in a free top shelf joint. That sounds amazing. I'll take an eighth. Dom was positively chomping at the bit, and not just about the pot. Perfect. That'll be $35, she replied cheerily. The bud tender broke out her scale and carefully weighed out an eighth of an ounce of the pungent herb. Once she had it all measured out, she labeled it and put it in a white paper bag, stapling it shut. Thanks for the help, Dom said while he put his remaining $5 in her tip jar. He wanted to give more tips than just the cash. Aw, you're too sweet. Have a good day, honey. Dom had fantasies of one day asking one of these cute bud tenders out, but they were way out of his league, so he made sure to tip well every time. It was easy to see why the stores would employ cute girls. They kept horny stoner guys coming back. As Dom left the shop, he turned his attention to a much more achievable fantasy. Food. This was easily the best part of getting high. While secretly, Dom didn't think that weed made food more tasty. It definitely made him hungrier. 
His next destination was the discount store, and he drove over and parked heading in with dreams of Crunch and Munch and Sour Patch Kids, or maybe even Hot Cheetos. He entered the doors of the store and was greeted with a refreshing blast of cool air. The fluorescent lights that made some places so drab really heightened the shopping experience here for Dom. Everything was so brightly lit and colorful. His first stop was aisle four where the chips were kept. Dom had decided against hot Cheetos, worrying about the inevitable spicy diarrhea. With the amount of fruit he planned on consuming, he was going to be on the toilet a long time and didn't want that extra torture. In their stead, he looked around the lesser-known Doritos flavors. He loved the Tapatio flavor because it was spicy, but not spicy enough to burn on the way out. He grabbed a bag. Next, he looked at the traditional flavors and selected the reliable old workhorse, Cool Ranch. After that, it was a stop in the candy aisle, where he got a massive chocolate bar. Today, he was feeling adventurous, so he chose to get a bar with almonds. Dom rounded out his candy stash with a box of Good and Plenties, an old childhood favorite of his. Fruit was on his brain next. This was his pattern. You always start a high binge with something healthy. It helps run out some of the binge time, meaning you don't absorb as much shit. Also, if you ate the fruit before taking in a bunch of sugar, it was almost as good as candy. Dom had been big on fruit his whole life. Usually he got something you needed to spend time unpeeling, as you don't need to wash it, and it kills extra time during the binge. Today, though, he went for huge, succulent purple grapes in a plastic clamshell. Did he know they were seeded? Hell no. Would he let that stop him from consuming dangerous quantities of them? Fuck no. With his prizes in his cart, he approached an open register. He often wondered if they recognized him here. He hoped he was just another fat stoner lost in the crowd. The truth was, he had a nickname with the staff. Fruta Gordo. The fat fruit. Hi, did you find everything you needed today? The cashier inquired happily. Yep, I found everything perfectly. Dom matched the energy of the cashier. Well, great. That'll be twenty-three sixty-nine. Nice. Thought Dom, as he had just enough. The cashier was positively bubbly. Dom handed over the last of his cash without a second thought and received his food and a receipt in return. While this wasn't an infinite supply of food, it might last him the night. He left the store carrying his bag of munchies like a lion proudly carrying its kill. He returned to his car and started it. He checked behind him and backed out quickly. Too quickly. He was met with a resounding BANG! Immediately, Dom began to hyperventilate. Holy shit. Oh, fuck! It was not supposed to go down like this. He was super high. This was not good. Really not good. What the fuck was he supposed to do? He couldn't think. He pulled forward quickly and was met with another loud bang. Fuck! 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 Dom was caught in a loop, it appeared. He exited the car to see the damage, and he was met with a strange sight. Groceries. Groceries everywhere. Off to the side, he heard children crying. Did he hurt a kid? This was not good. This was so not good. He was going down for this. Dom could feel a full-blown panic attack coming, but something felt off. Why did no one seem angry? If he'd just hit a cart with a kid in it, shouldn't the parents be angry? But they weren't. 
They were mildly reassuring their crying progeny. The dad came over to Dom and said, Hey, buddy, sorry about that. We didn't even notice your backup lights until it was too late. Oh, oh no, it was my fault. I backed up too quickly. I'm really sorry about your groceries. Here, let me help. The two of them righted the overturned cart and set to picking up the groceries. In the end, the only casualty was a lone sack of flour that had split open. It hadn't even made that much of a mess on the ground. This had gone better than Dom's wildest dreams. They said their goodbyes, and each party went on their merry way. In the absence of any consequences, Dom hadn't learned a thing. Finally, we come to the poetry corner. This week, we feature a live recording of my poem, Bipolarity. This poem is actually two different poems that I had written but never used. The first poem is called Bipolar, World Shittiest Superpower, and the second is The Epic of the Yellow Jacket. The first relates my struggles and some of the symptoms of bipolar that I experience. The second details part of what happened during my first trip to the mental hospital. Together with original bookends, these poems make bipolarity. This poem was not nearly as difficult to write as biplosive, but it was much, much harder to live. Bipolar wasn't kind to me and has been a nightmare to live through. I'm doing better now, thanks in part to writing and performing. Enjoy this window into my life. Here's a poem about what makes me yellow D. See, happy or sad doesn't mean much to me. I'm capriciously oriented, discontented, misrepresented, tormented, demented, presented a choice between chronic illness and chronic side effects. Bipolar is the shittiest of superpowers. But don't mistake that as me being dour. It's still a power. Just with a ton of side effects that wreck me, make me pee my pants all the time. I shake like I've committed a crime. Mania burns my bones, makes me yellow D, a being of pure pleasure, no measure to my energy. Don't sleep till 6 a.m. Don't sleep at all, really. For months and months till I'm hollow, go to places no mortal man may follow. Got my funeral arranged, cause I'm deranged. When manic, people panic, cause my rhymes cause swarms of insight. There is another side, though, depression, suffering unseen, regression to the mean. It literally gives me the power to kill a superhero. Only problem is, that superhero is me. How did I know I was crazy, you may ask? Let me unpack it with the epic of the yellow jacket. Five years ago, I was a man without ambition, one with no mission, until I became energized with fission. Suddenly a plan began to spread my wingspan and fly, to cry flaws in the system. We gotta resist them. I stopped sleeping, stopped eating, got distracted, got horny. This is where things got thorny. Got drunk, got high, time passed by and boom, I woke up naked, restrained because I was deranged in an ambulance bound for the loony bin to my family's chagrin. Never saw a doctor, no clothes for days. It's all a haze, until the man with the yellow jacket entered. He made me feel centered. He was the God I didn't believe in. I was guilty of sin. He sat me down and pardoned me. Ardently, I hung on his every word until he asked, do you need a jacket? You can have mine, it's mighty warm. It'll see you through the storm. He gave it to me, leaving with these words, go now, my son, be at peace. 
you shall wear my yellow fleece. And the turmoil within me subsided, and I decided my ambitions had been misguided. So I took up the mantle of a god, making it my mission to spread mellow glee. And that's when I put on the jacket and became Yellow D. See, I'm not strong bodily, but mentally, I'm deathly fucking ill. But I've got the will to be the king of comedy and the king of tragedy. See, one in five people with bipolar disorder can expect to die by their own hand. My own attempt was unplanned. I was morose and tried to overdose. I was lucky, but many aren't, weren't, and will never be. Know the signs, do it for me, and one day you may just save Yellow D. Thank you everyone who has made it this far as we come to a close. I'd like to thank Melissa Hernandez for a wonderful interview. I hope you enjoyed Dom's adventures this week. Next week we'll be interviewing rocker Luis Parra, a close friend of mine and frontman for the band Good. You can find me on Instagram at yellow.d.jacket and my email is yellow.d.jacket at gmail.com. Contact me with questions and concerns, and I may just read them on air. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day. Adios! No thoughts left in my head. My mind's not mine and it won't forget. But you bring me back from my darkness black. Cause the soul in me and the heart I yet feel. It bleeds for you. It bleeds again. She brings